Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Let's get started. So welcome. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. Big welcome to you, Margarita Raphael, for joining us. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Laura, and thank you. And thank you for having me. Yes, awesome. So glad you're here. Why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about your career, your career journey. And what I'm really interested in you digging into is you're a clinical psychologist, and I think there's so much that's interesting in the intersection of clinical psychology and organizational psychology. Um, so I'd love to, to kind of hear how you as a clinical psychologist kind of got into this, this function that you're in that's related to, to work. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, here's So I am originally from Lisbon, Portugal, but I got most of my education in the States. So I studied in Chicago, got my doctorate of psychology and clinical psychology from Chicago. And then um, I focused a lot in the clinical area, but doing and conducting psychological assessments across different areas, right? So intellectual, cognitive, personality, I mean, you name it. That was a very big focus of my doctorate degree and also the papers that I started writing and also of my first internship and my first job working for the state of California um, with, with, with the state of California. Um, with incarcerated individuals. So I've always focused much more on the assessment component than on the therapeutic component of clinical psych, right? So then when I decided to leave the US and starting my own practice, I knew that it wasn't going to be enough to just run my own practice and doing therapy. So I started, well, not started, but in a way I continued the assessment route and started partnering with different companies that were interested first in personality assessments for recruitment purposes, then more cognitive, then more intellectual. And through these small, at first small partnerships, then eventually turning to bigger partnerships, that's kind of how I ended up uh, here at WorkZynga, really leading the organizational science team and creating something that's much bigger than a small partnership about recruitment or talent strategies uh, and the utilization of clinical psychology for such. So that is so interesting. And um, really, honestly, um, in my work that I do, um, in my career, I, there's a lot that we do around assessments that leads into talent, talent mapping, talent strategy mapping, and so forth. So to, can you talk a little bit more about what does WorkZynga do? And what do you do as a company? And then what is your specific role with the company? So WorkSinga started in the middle, or the idea, should I say, about WorkSinga started in the middle of the pandemic. You know, we were, you know, six months into the pandemic, end of 2020, beginning of 2021. And this idea started emerging. We were reading these trends about quiet quitting, the great resignation, what was really happening, and what 
needed to be done about this. And every single conversation and article that we were reading at that time started converging uh, to the topic of workplace culture, right? And the importance of workplace culture. So WorkZinga is all about hiring for workplace culture. And how can we do this? And this is exactly where I come in. Uh, a clinical psychologist by education, but IO psychologist by training uh, and extra education. And what my role here has been was along with my team of two other IO psychologists has been to design and develop an assessment that we call the culture fit assessment to understand from the company side and job seeker side 26 different characteristics and where both sides are aligned. Now, these 26 characteristics are traits that are pertinent to workplace culture. So it's your professional self, if you're a job seeker, and the professional side, if you are a company. So I'm, I'm fascinated by this. This is like culture is like my favorite topic in the whole wide world. So let's talk a little bit about that idea of that match and that culture mm -hmm. match. I was thinking specifically on this side of the company, right? Because mm -hmm. there's so many reasons why companies would want to put forward a really positive front, right? Like say we are so collaborative here or we're, you know, we're, we've got our act together in mm -hmm. so many ways when the reality got is- it right? That it's, that's not true. And so mm -hmm. how do you kind of protect against that, you know, saving face aspect of how the company represents their mm -hmm. culture? Um, and I'm just really, you know, curious how you make it, make it real and, and like valid um, measure of the culture of the company. Mm -hmm. Right. So as an academic uh, and the two, you know, we have a team of academics, clinical IO, uh, so we've done a very thorough and detailed uh, literature review, everything under the sun that's out there. Um, but, but more than that, let me start out by answering your question and say that WorkZinga and the tool that we have designed is based on a principle that there's no right or wrong culture. The same way there's no right or wrong job seeker, right? What we have though is an alignment that's strong or not strong. It's not like every company needs to have X culture to be successful and each job seeker or candidate applying for this company needs to match that X type of culture to be a match, right? What we have is alignment or non-alignment. And we really focused on the design portion of the assessment and the way that the questions are written and designed in a way where all options are desirable. So sure, you know, uh, from a psychometric standpoint, we're very careful with the questions, the validity questions, the, the fake good uh, validity scales that we want to make sure that we, we included in order to make sure that there is no aspect or desirability to lie. And each question is designed and written in a way that is that that would require people to answer in a truthful manner. So it's it really comes down to the strategy and the, the, the design and the development of these questions tactic. 
Right. Having them all desirable is a, is a good yes. way to kind of deal with that. That's great. That's awesome. Which, yes, it's something that you don't usually see in regular assessments. You know, the disc or the big five, that, that's usually one that's like, okay, I should answer this. But I mean, if you're just taking these assessments for your personal gain or personal um, self-knowledge or development, it doesn't matter. Now, if you are taking an assessment and you know that the other side is also taking the assessment and you're going to be evaluated and judged on that, that matters then you start thinking twice about how you are answering. But if all of the answers are desirable, then does it really matter? So we, if I can follow up on that, because I, I yeah. find this really interesting because I, I wonder if there's a, if there, when there is a disconnect, that and and as I mentioned um, before we started the podcast, that I do have done a lot of research as it relates to looking at external brand and mm-hmm. the way that intersects with recruiting and talent, and then how you're operationalizing your brand, kind of within the culture of your internal organization. And I'm curious from your perspective if you've seen disconnects occur when people get recruited and thinking the company is one one thing, one culture, mm-hmm. but then there's there's kind of um, a bait and switch, right? Where they come in, they get recruited in, but then when they get there, they're like, wait a minute, this company is not like the values that they espouse externally. And then that this is this causes attrition, right? So I'm just curious if, what are some of the reasons why you see that disconnect between, or the misalignment between what is the company culture and what is the expectation of the employees? I think one of the main causes um, for this misalignment or this disconnection, as as you were saying, um, is lack of knowledge, lack of extra information from the recruitment um, stage. And we launched our product this summer, and it will be really interesting uh, in six months time and one year time to get all the data and uh, really analyze that and see, okay, where are all of these candidates that were hired with the help of the culture fit assessment, where are they now? What uh, do companies have to say about the utilization of our CFA? Right now, we don't have six months or 12, 12 months data to analyze that, right? But I would say that you could agree with me uh, and obviously free to disagree that one of the main reasons for this disconnection is lack of knowledge. We are hiring people based on resumes, interviews, standardized methods, standardized standardized personality tests, where most of the time is companies interviewing the candidates, getting way more information about these candidates than candidates are getting about the company. But then who's leaving the job? It's the candidate, right? So we, and and we have this conversation often here at WorkSinga, let's empower these candidates. Let's empower these job seekers. Let's allow them to have as much information as possible about this company. And that's why we have these two-sided reports. So they make an informed decision about where they want to work, where, what's this place that they are applying for like. Because if they know in advance what this is about and what they're walking into, chances of them knowing and staying in this job increase. Completely. And I think that's the thing that's been so hard for so long about culture is 
that we don't have a standard language, right, for Mm -hmm. cultural attributes um, and how we talk about culture. And I think the in the beginning, when culture work was first starting, there was so much work on types, right? And typology and like, there are four types of company cultures. And thank goodness, now that's been pretty, you know, well rejected in research and literature, there aren't just, you know, a couple types of cultures. And but then it makes it really complicated, right? Because if you think about it as like a sum of like a profile approach, right, where you have all these different Mm -hmm. attributes, that means there's a lot of permutations, right? <laughs> if we, let's say there's 47 cultural attributes, that combination is so different for every um, for every company. And so that's, I, I really like what you're saying because you're basically saying, let's, let's have, let's form a language for how we talk about the culture, right? Correct. And in a way, it's not your type A, type B, type C or type D. You're not black, white, purple or yellow but you fall on the nuances of black you fall on the nuances of gray of purple of yellow and it really is about and the conversation uh, that we usually have at all of you know the conferences that we've been attending and with um, these companies that are interested in our product it's what people think culture is and how they're talking about culture is very different than what culture is. Yes, I right? agree. Exactly. And it drives me crazy. Doesn't it drive you crazy? Because it's like people want to think that anything that's related to employees, benefits, compensation, any perk, anything that's really related to something an employee would care about, that's culture, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, no. it's And it's way more complicated. I get that's why people don't understand it right because it is it's harder to kind of understand the getting underneath it all um but man that's what we got to do in order to move it forward right and in all, in all honesty um the conversation about all the nuances of culture uh is not happening in that way so i feel people just tend to fall uh on what's obvious and easy to identify about what workplace culture is but it's just because of the lack of knowledge, lack of tools, the lack of instruments, lack of conversation. Because once you give them these tools and once you get this conversation started, everyone is like, uh-huh, well, it clicks. I understand what we're talking about here. Right. It's not, we're not reinventing the wheel, right? And I think that's what we're trying to say here is to give names to things that we already know. Yes, But we just couldn't have a conversation about it. Completely. And I think that's so important for the whole kind of field to move forward is for us to have a language, right? In order for us to be Mm -hmm. able to, everybody knows culture matters. Everybody knows that. But Mm -hmm. it just seems like very few organizations are really doing the work uh, around it, you know? So I love that. So I'm curious about, we at um, our Happy at Work podcast, we really focus on the intersection of positive psychology and work. Mm -hmm. This idea that we just, we really truly believe that work can be better. And there's a lot about positive psychology that we can learn Mm -hmm. about. So I'm curious about how you might think about positive psychology in the work you do, or even there's this sort of this crazy idea that I've been playing around with of like how we think about positive psychology at the organizational level, right? Like how mm-hmm. could organizations be optimistic? Could organizations be resilient? Could organizations be grateful? 
So I don't know. I just wonder your thoughts um, around the idea of positive psychology in the work that you do. And to be honest, it is the company's responsibility to bring this conversation to light. Uh, it's not, in my opinion, it's very top bottom. It's not. Uh, it's not necessarily conversation that happens from the employee's uh, perspective. And let me. I'm just going to use an example of something that here at WorkSingo we've been doing uh, this month of October. You know, uh, in alignment with October 10th being World Mental Health Day, we just started this um, journey. Let's just call it a journey. It's like a 21 day mental well being initiative where each morning on Slack, so each morning, Monday through Friday, uh, in our Happy Place channel that we created on October 1st, um, everybody receives one mindful activity based on the premises of positive psychology. Uh, So it's a suggestion. We ask three questions at the very beginning, just to establish a baseline. We're going to ask the exact same three questions at the end. And it's just, you know, promoting these, not just self-awareness, but also providing education, allowing a space, even, you know, on Slack, and then the conversation around the office, and then the messages that we're, uh, you know, passing around and the conversations that that are happening. We ended up also partnering with the city of New Orleans and other small businesses around Nashville. So the, I'm what what the goal is with this 21 day journey is to really you know um, introduce a new idea and conversation around positive psychology in a new business because that's that's what we are. But starting really from the very beginning at normalizing and including this in a must have because. Ultimately, we're talking about workplace culture and promoting workplace culture. And can we have a conversation about culture without addressing all of these things uh, in 2022? I don't think we can. I think that's um, so interesting, Margarita. Uh, You know, seeing you as as a clinical psychologist and all of your expertise around assessments, but you're a female entrepreneur and a powerful one at that. And the fact that you are um, putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak, and really trying to think about and develop the culture that you would want to work within, right? Mm -hmm. And that you're doing that with your own business. I think so many um, corporations, organizations will say one thing and do another. And so I think it's, it's really empowering. What are some of the other aspects of your own life's philosophy as that really helps inform your leadership style, the way that you're developing the culture. So I I think it's really fascinating to hear about that particular intervention, but what are some other aspects of your own personal philosophy that informs your leadership style? I can't, you know, I was, I am a trained clinical psychologist and this is a hat. It's like a permanent hat, right? I cannot remove it. And that um, has, you know, informed my um, eye as informed the lens that I choose to pick up every morning when I go into work, when I go into uh, a dinner with friends, when I sit down for lunch with my family. Um, And this is an eye that's focused on relationships. It's very um, values based on relationships in and out of workplace. It's an eye of tolerance. It's an eye of curiosity. It's an eye of understanding. It's an eye of understanding 
more judging less. And it doesn't just inform me when I am sitting with my patients, but it also informs me when I'm sitting with my team of IO psychologists, when I'm working with the marketing team, the sales team, everyone else, and when I'm going through demos or onboarding with with clients, I don't think these are the put on, uh, take off hats. But this is, you know, it's part of my vision. It's part of my. It's more than values. It's really these grounding pillars that have accompanied me in the way that I've designed the assessment, in the way that I work with different departments uh, in the team, and that we we work with with our clients in general. That's so good. And this has been a really good conversation, getting to know you a little bit more. Um, I think just to wrap us up, mm-hmm. are there some key learnings or key messages that you could leave our listeners with um, about the work that you do? Sure. And, uh, you know, going back to perhaps like Tessa's point uh, before, it's we cannot talk about company culture, workplace culture what candidates want, what job seekers are looking for without talking about relationships, right? And ultimately, I think that's one of the main reasons why uh, my, you know, my education and my experience in clinical psychology has been such a, of a benefit for the work that we're doing here at WorkSinga. It's about relationships. It's about how you nurture the relationship with yourself, even your professional self, and it's the way that you re- you nurture these relationships with the people around you. That being a client, that being different departments, that being your own team. So really bringing it to to this homogeneity, and that there's no separation between personal happiness and personal well being, and professional happiness and professional well being. Right. That's I think if there's something that the, the this pandemic really accelerated was the uniformity and the unity of these both of these both components when you go into work you can no longer just leave your personal self back home and vice versa right i think we've had enough of putting on uh taking off different masks uh just to come just to come into work that's so good and the using masks i thought you're gonna say happy you said masks like, oh <laughs> that was really good you're right masks this has been so wonderful thank you so much for your time today thank you so much for having me laura and tessa this was really great i mean great conversation yes, yes I, this is the fastest half hour i think i've i've ever enjoyed so thank you so much for joining us oh thank you so much for saying that yeah it was such a pleasure We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.